Hello, brothers and sisters. Pastor Jason here. I'm excited to be back with you here on this episode. I want to encourage you to uh, like this episode. We've had tons of listens. We're so excited to reach over 2,800 downloads. And we want to encourage you, if you have any questions or things you'd like to have discussed, go to pastorbites.com. I will not disclose who has asked a question unless you'd like for me to. I'd be glad to discuss any topics that you would like to hear uh, discussed on this podcast. But as I am going to continue, I want to talk to you again about the feast. And we're gonna, we're at the Feast of First Fruits. And the last one we did was the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And as we look at this feast, it's important to remember that each one of these feasts have a symbolic uh, idea. It has a symbolic principle. It has some things that we can learn. Like I've said before, it's not done away with. It's not just something of the past, but it's something that we can learn of. And as we look at this feast, the first place that we see it is in the book of Leviticus, the book of Leviticus chapter 23, verse 9 through 14. Let's read. And it says, And the Lord spoke unto Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When you come into the land which I shall give to you and reap its harvest, then you shall bring a sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest to the priest. He shall wave the sheaf before the Lord to be accepted on your behalf. You shall offer on that day when you wave the sheaf a male lamb of the first year without blemish as a burnt offering to the Lord. Its grain offering shall be two-tenths of an ephah of flour mixed with oil, an offering made by fire unto the Lord for a sweet aroma. And as a drink offering, it shall be of wine, one-fourth of a hen. You shall eat neither bread nor parched grain nor fresh grain until the same day that you have brought an offering to your God. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations and all your dwellings. And that was one of the things that I you keep seeing this theme in these feasts. It says, it shall be a statue forever throughout your generations in all your dwellings. So does that mean we need to go to the temple and take our lamb or take our grain and have it waved by the priest? No, but it's a, it's a principle. It's not a law anymore. That's the thing about many of the laws of Leviticus. It's a book of laws. It's not laws, but it's still a Christian principle. And we can't look at these things and say, I have to do this and this and this and this and this. That's the law. But we need to look and say, am I doing this as a principle? You see, when we look at the unleavened bread, we remember what we talked about when Jesus was put away. It was like we put away our sin. We put away. He he became sin who knew no sin, but he when he was put away in the tomb, that is a principle of putting off the old man. But when we turn to the feast of the first fruits, it's not no longer that we're putting away, but it's that we're putting on. So it's put, not putting away the old man, but, but it's that we're putting on the new man. And see, when they would take these offerings, the priest would raise them to the Lord and they, they would say, God, this is yours. This is, this was ours, but it was ours because it was yours that you gave to us. And that's the principle and the things we do. And when we look at first fruits, the feast of the first fruits, we need to remember, you know, I've heard people say, well, tithing's of the past. That's just the old law. Well, that's not true at all. Tithing continues. If tithing was important in the Old Testament under the law, how how much more important could it be whenever we're into the new kingdom and the dispensation of grace? And it's not necessarily, don't shut me off yet. This isn't a message about tithing, but it's a principle of giving. The Christian life is a life-giving 
principle. It's that's that's what we do. That's how we sow. That's how we give. But we're not just giving to give, but we're giving because of what God's given us. We're giving out of a heart of gratitude. And the and and the children of Israel knew what it was like. He's turning them loose into this land that he's given them. This, any blessings that we have, whether it be financial blessings or whether it be blessings of children, blessings of grandchildren, anything in life that God gives us, he gives us out of the mercy and grace of God. But but just like our, 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 our harvest, just like our crop that we bring him, the same with our children. God lends our children to us as, as something that he wants to give us. But then what do we do? We offer them back to the Lord. You know, when we think about the feast, of first fruits, I think about our time. It's a valuable resource. It's a priceless resource. One of the things we need to make sure we do, you know, God convicts me if I don't set apart time to study his word and to pray and to commune with him. Not just in the shower, not just whenever I'm on the road, but that I set a time of my day apart. Whenever I was working, it was more afternoon or evening time. Whenever I was working full time in the oil field, of course, I still work uh, plenty, but I now I try to make it a principle in the morning as much as possible. But there are days I get up early, five, six o'clock in the morning, and I don't get up early enough. I don't study. I'm not in the spirit real easy that early of a morning, but I make sure there's still time. If I haven't done it in the morning, I try to turn around and set it apart at night. That's part of my spiritual service to God. It's my first fruits to God. One of the great Jewish historians said, I believe he was late 1800s, he said that the shivs were cut in the afternoon just before the sunset. And, you know, I know there's a lot of people out there that may not agree with this, but that's okay. Uh, I'm not right on everything. I've always told people, but I do believe some of the Jewish scholars that have studied this stuff, I mean, they're right. They've studied the history, the culture, and it was late in the afternoon, it said, that the time for the cutting of the sheaf had arrived. A large crowd for worshipers follow and representative leaders in the place where the first fruits were to be harvested. It was almost dark as they sang, played their instruments, danced, and celebrate the goodness of God. After the sheaf was cut, the people praised the Lord and retraced their path up the slopes of the Temple Mount to the altar. It was now officially the morrow after the Sabbath. So, you know, we I know that we've celebrated sunrise services. We've celebrated things like that. And I'm, there's nothing wrong with that. But I do believe that when the, the when Christ was raised, it was actually on the morning of that day. And, that, and this is debatable for some people, but it was on the morning. The morning, the Jewish time, we know, as history tells us, we don't have to guess, it's the day started at 6 p.m., and so it was on that Wednesday that he was crucified. Well, I know we celebrate Good Friday, but it was actually on a Wednesday. And I have a chart. I'll probably upload that that chart as a picture if I can get it to come out good and let you see that chart. But it was it was actually on that Sabbath day, that Sunday, then he was raised. The Saturday was set apart, but then he was raised on that time. Look what it says in the book of Matthew. It says, now. Now after the Sabbath, as the first fruit of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene, the other Mary, came to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven, and they came and rolled back the stone from the door. 
And in that, in Matthew chapter 28, verse one through six, but here's what it says. Now, after the Sabbath and in parentheses, if you have uh, a Bible that has that, it'll say at the end or close of the Sabbath. So that Saturday night, as a day of the week began to dawn, as it began to get dark. And that's, that's the picture. That's the idea that their morning, see our morning starts at what time at midnight, their morning started at 6 PM. So at the close of one day was five 30 at the beginning of another day was six o'clock. And that's the way that it was, but they would bring, they would go out and they would work during the day. But then at nighttime at 6 PM, they would bring and offer these things even to the first morning. So the first thing they did was offer those things. It would be okay. I guess if you wanted to believe that they went out and they, they harvested all up and then the next morning they brought them up first thing. But the principle is what's important. The, the details are not as important as the principle, but they would bring those offerings. They would bring those things. And do you remember, uh, when, when we talk about the feast of first fruits, it, the, the other principle Principle I want you to get through the Feast of the First Fruits is not just to set things apart for, and and not just it, it's a type of consecration. See, God didn't just save us so we could stay away from sin, and I think that's good because that's part of salvation. Jesus said, "Repent, because the kingdom of heaven's nigh." But then God saved us to not just set us apart, but then to use us for the ministry, and that is another word for that is consecration. So when we see. The Feast of the First Fruits, it speaks of the consecration, what we're set apart for. So they would consecrate this grain. They would consecrate this lamb. They would consecrate this drink offering. And then the priest would take and he would raise it before the Lord. He would raise it and say, God, accept this first fruits, first thing in the morning, uh, after their evening. That was one of the first things they would make sure they did for their day. And that's why we worship. We call it the first day of the week on Sunday. And people say, well, can you worship on Saturday? And I know there's a lot of great godly Seventh-day Adventists. I have no problem with that. But the point is that you choose a time to consecrate yourself to God. When we go to church, I've had to work on Sunday. But as a principle, I try to rest on that day. And if I don't rest on Sunday, I have had to work. I've had emergencies I've had to work. But then I set apart a day. It might be a Monday. It might be a Saturday for you. But you set apart this time to consecrate. How can we labor and labor and then not enjoy some restful time to commune with with our Savior? And when we look at the first fruits, there's a lot of scriptures that we look at. And here's what it says in Matthew chapter 27, verse 52. And the graves were open and many bodies of the saints had fallen asleep, were raised and coming out of the graves after his resurrection. And they went into the holy city and appeared to him after his resurrection. So it was a type of God saying that, hey, that after he was raised, all these other graves were raised with him. So it was like God was stamping this first fruit offering saying that, Jesus, I accept this offering. So it was a symbolic act. Can you imagine the cities and all of a sudden all these dead people? And I mean, there's a, there's a man that came home for supper and he's been dead for 10 years. And I can imagine the family going, man, what has happened? I mean, we don't preach that or talk about that much, but it was such a miracle. But God was saying, I accept this. I accept my son. I accept his sinless life. He did not sin. I've heard people say that, Oh, God was fearful and he had to have sinned as a child. You know, he was a kid. No, he didn't. He never sinned. He 
became sin that knew no sin. And that when he was raised, there was something else that was raised. There were other people raised with him. And by the way, that keeps going to us. Look what Paul writes. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed in a moment. In the twinkling of an eye, the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption. This mortal must put on immortality. So this corruptible has put on incorruption, and this mortal has put on immortality. Then shall we brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? Oh, Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin. The strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain. See, the Feast of First Fruits, there was going to be a time of, of, of harvesting, but then was going to come a time of plowing and of work in the fields and of planting. Everybody wants to be there during harvest time. It's a time of celebration, a time of collecting all the labor and what you've done, but there was going to be a time of labor. And friends, if I'm ever going to see it today, I see it in the church today, when we're in this pandemic, this coronavirus, and people cannot meet and worship together, this ought to be a time of so and of planting. No, it's going to be hard to see great revivals. I believe the church now could have stood up and that we could have seen great revival if people would steal away and hit their knees and pray and study the word of God. But the truth is now for most of the church, this is a time of plowing. This is a time of working. But what does Paul say? Knowing that your labor is not in vain. Why? Because we will be raised, not just in heaven, but if we plow, though who plow in tears, the scripture says, will reap with joy. There is a time of plowing, but we have to know that when we offer that up to God, it's our first fruit saying, God, this is all that you've given me. I'm giving back to you. But God, in return, I may be, it, it may seem grim today, but joy comes in the morning. It there may he may be in the tomb one day, but he'll be resurrected the next day. Look what the scripture says in First Thessalonians. I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest your sorrows others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and what rose again, even so will God bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say you by the word of the Lord, that you who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Remember, in this feast, we need to remember the resurrection looms on the Christian. You know, there's so much fear in the world. There's so much... Uh, I, I don't know how to say it, but it's it's just it's a spirit of fear. It's a uh, you read the media and they're scared and the numbers are going up and things are hard and that is so true. But you know what? Do you know that man's has a downward tra trajectory anyway, if you will. That man seems to kind of coast downhill. I'm not just, I'm talking about the sin nature in man. I mean, there's more people depressed. There's more trouble. There's more alcohol. There's more abuse. There, it just grows and there's more murder. Those things happen. And, and now this pandemic is like, oh my goodness, we're falling. Oh my goodness, we're falling. Well, let me give you a stark reality check. We were falling anyway. And people that are scared of dying, that are so scared of dying, hey, well, I don't want to die. 
I don't, I don't, I don't, hey, let's hurry up and get to heaven, knock me in the head so I can get to heaven. But the truth is, if I am so fearful of it, then I'm not right with God. That's what's wrong with humanity today. They're not right with God. They know in their heart. The Bible says the word of God was written on their hearts and where they're in this downward trajectory to where they know. So all they're going to do is try to save me, save me, save me. Let me live longer. Let me live longer. I've told people that cars are some of the most dangerous things when we get them every day and we travel, but we don't think about it. And this pandemic has been such a, a fear factor uh, I was talking to a friend of mine the other day. He started church services, and they don't have children's church and things So, because they can't because they can have groups of 10 and then a space of six feet and groups of 10. But he said that they have about 25 to 35% of people that's returned to the church. Now, I believe the church is going to raise up. I believe the people of the church already in our church, we've seen it that the people of God have been faithful through this time. But I'm talking about the church. When I say the church is going to raise up in these times of discouragement, this time of fear, it's the true church. (laughs) It's the true church. Now, what is the true church? I don't know, but it's a percentage of what we see coming every Sunday. I don't believe that everyone coming on a Sunday morning is right with God. The true church will need to rise up. They'll need to speak works at words of life. They'll need to encourage people. Remember, Christ raised us up. He raised Jesus up. He said, if you raise him up, all men will be drawn unto himself. So we raise him up, but in raising him, that the, the principle of this first fruits is that we also raise one another up, that we we, we feed, we eat from the, the table of the master, that then we can encourage people. One of the most discouraging things I've seen is pastors. I mean, some very famous pastors and pastors that I know that's, that say, hey, be careful, be safe, don't break the law. Don't do these things. Hey, listen, when I'm walking through Walmart and Dillon's and it tells me be conscious of the social distancing, first of all, I'm a little bit irritated because if I don't know that by now, I mean, I'm probably never going to know it. I've heard it and heard it and heard it. And all the people get on TV and say it. We don't need a man of God standing up and putting more fear into us. We need a man of God to raise the bloodstained banner and say, God's going to get us through Jesus. Remember what he did. The Bible said that he came, that a leper came to him and he reached out and he touched him with the power of God and he was healed and made whole. That's the, that's the message we need to hear. We don't need to hear more fear and more compliance. Of course we need to comply. Of course we need to do it. But it's a crying shame that the men of God and the people of God and the Christians aren't standing up and saying, hey, if something happens, then it's been well with my soul. I've offered my first fruits. I've done my part of what God's given me. And to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. We as the church don't need to stand. Our job is not to hold the government up. Our job is to hold the Savior up. Our job is not to go out and implement justice. And, and you know, we've had people in the church even say, you better not break the guideline. You better not hate Christians and brothers and sisters. How about supporting the ministry and saying, you know what? They've got a big job and let's just pray for them. And even if it doesn't look right, I'm going to support them. Trust me, the government will take care of itself. The laws of the land will take care of itself. If it comes down to it, I believe that we will see another pandemic. I believe we will see another lockdown. And I can assure you the government's going to take care of itself. But what's our job as we labor, as we toil, as we sow, as we plow, as we plant? Our job is to remember. That's what the Jewish people did. 
they took their first fruits and they say, God, my life is yours. Everything I do belongs to you. Everything I am belongs to you, the good, the bad. But first of all, anything I give, I want to start by giving to you. Uh, you know, I've told, heard people say, you know, you got to be careful, you know, asking people uh, for money. You know, you got to be real careful talking to people about money. And that's, you know, we have to, you know, we just can't be flamboyantly talking about it all the time. But I also know this people will take care of their own wallet. And by the way, I've heard people say in the church, they say, you know, you got to be careful. People are too busy already if you're doing too much. And, and they, we, I'm sure we can overwork people. But the truth is, I've seen many, many people that call in sick plenty, that quit a job because it's too demanding. People take care of their time. You don't have to worry so much about guarding their time. They'll, they'll guard their time. You don't have to be that one. But what are we doing? What, what is our spiritual principles of the first fruits? Are we, do we realize that God has consecrated us? Do we realize that God has raised us up? Not in vain. We don't labor in vain, but he hasn't raised us in vain. He raised us that we should be a light in the city on a hill. Who takes a light and puts a bushel over it or a lampshade over it? No one. We are to be that city. We are to be that light. We are to be that first fruit. We are to be raised in the power of God and his resurrection. You know, I can fail one day and it'd be okay because a righteous man falls seven times but rises again. I'm reminded in the scriptures, but it's okay to fail because the resurrection allows me to have a new life, a new way, a new journey, an old habit broken, a different way. And I encourage you, friends, as you think of the first fruits and that scripture, remember what it said. It said, this is a statute for all those generations to come. It's not something we can put away because in the book of Leviticus, it's something we need to do. We need to give God what is God's. But remember, when we're giving it to him, it's because he first gave it to us. Friends, I hope this word's been good to you. And until next time, God bless.